content is sort of the foundation for that reaching people in that 75% where they're out in the world researching all their options and looking at every bit of information they can before they make a final decision. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 239 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Content marketing is a marathon. It takes a long time to harvest any fruit and it isn't easy to tell what works or doesn't work and why. You have met Melissa Donnelly in the past three episodes. She manages the content for various clients, so perfect to ask for more insights. So here's Melissa about content marketing. There is this term of content marketing and of course anything you do in terms of content, websites, podcasts, videos, anything that falls within that is content marketing. I understand, but you correct me if I'm wrong. Basically it is. If we go back to this idea that most of us will make 75% of a purchasing decision before we actually want to deal with the company we might be going to purchase from. Then you go to the question, well, how do we influence the decision? How do we get information in front of them? So it's this whole concept of getting found, which is where content marketing effectively has grown out of. And getting found can involve a whole lot of things, your website, speaking at events, uh, your referrers, all that sort of thing. But when you think about what are they going to talk about? They're going to need content. So what's your website going to say? It needs content. So content is sort of the foundation for that reaching people in that 75% where they're out in the world researching all their options and looking at every bit of information they can before they make a final decision. You mentioned conferences or events. Is that content marketing or does it only become content marketing if you video it and then put it onto your website or YouTube or, or something. Yeah, so really it's about one of my mantras is don't invent content for a one-off hit. So if you're going to speak at a conference, turn that into content marketing. So reuse, repurpose, recycle everything that you're doing so that it'll have another platform, it'll have another use, but don't invest in one-off pieces of content. Even if it's a speech at a conference, think about Can that speech be put on your website? Can it become a resource? Can you turn it into an ebook? Can you make a white paper from it? So, can you turn it into a blog post? Can you turn it into a podcast interview? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or a radio so, interview? Yeah, yeah. So, this idea of create it and they will come. Well, no, you can create all sorts of content, but if it doesn't find its way to somebody, which is the marketing bit of it, then it's useless to you. And also the couple of truths about content, and I've backed this up with research I've actually done, is people only want it if it's relevant. So you can create reams and reams and reams of content if it's not relevant. And if it doesn't go back to that the problem of the person reading it, what's the solution they're looking for, why are they going to buy it from you? So if it's not answering a question for somebody that's relevant to them, it's useless. It has to be good. I'm really tired of people saying, oh, let's just use iPhones, we'll make a video, we'll smash it out on social media. It'll be great because video is really big. Well, bad video is not helpful. So 
it may not be TV production quality in all instances, and I think that's the the fabulous thing now is we've got all these tools to produce good content, but it needs to be good content. It needs to have quality about it. So, you know, when you think about it, we've now got more platforms than ever before on which to tell our stories. We can be quite defined in the people that we're targeting those stories at, but at the end of the day, you can have all the platforms in the world, you can have the best client personas developed and understand exactly what they want, but you've got to develop the content and get it out. And that is usually the sticking point for most companies. They see it as, and quite rightly see it as time-consuming, it can, they think it's costly, and it becomes something that becomes insurmountable. So, and in thinking about content, it's fine to say you need it, but I really think, again, it's important to say, well, what's the process around creating it? And then what's the process around shipping it, getting it out into the market? And again, with the mantra, perfection is the enemy of the good. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be accurate. It has to be of reasonable quality, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And don't let that hold you up. And as somebody who edits my own content a thousand times, I know the downsides of that because you just don't get the content out there that you need to. What's your thought about free content versus content that you only get if you give your email address? The classic example is do a blog post that anybody can access or do an ebook that you only get if you provide an email address? Yeah, I think the main thing is not to consider content in a binary way. So don't think of it as free or with strings attached. It's where it fits best in the decision-making cycle. So when you want to get found, so at that wide part of the decision-making funnel where you're targeting a lot of people, so it's one to many in terms of the way you're targeting. You need content that's completely free. Free, that will find its way to them in the guise that they find comfortable. So that's your website content. That's your social media posts. That's you standing at a conference and speaking. So if you think about the attitude is it's one person or one business talking to many people and it's more scattergunned obviously because not all of it's going to resonate. It may not be top of mind for people. It may not be relevant to them, but you're reaching a broader swathe. As they come further down through that decision-making funnel, so as they're starting to evaluate options or assess options uh, or look at alternatives, then they're going to need more targeted content. So then you're talking one to few. So in that instant, that's where they may be willing because they're almost 75% through that decision-making process, they may be willing to give you the trade, which is my details for that ebook or that white paper or that access to something that I couldn't get without giving you that. You've got to be really careful with it because you can lock people out, obviously. You can make the barriers to entry too high. People are allergic to spam. And one takeaway I've had from the years of observing accounting firms, working with accounting firms and talking to accountants is it's a sector that is allergic to spam, either spamming the market or receiving it. LinkedIn seems to be really tricky for accountants to play in because they just get inundated with with stuff. So that's damaging and, and it's not good for anybody. So you've got to find that trade-off. But if you've got high value content, then there's nothing stopping you from saying all we need is a is an email address. And you under the privacy laws have 
very easy access to tell me you don't want to receive anything more from me. And that's, you know, the, the onus on the, on the firms and the marketers is to make sure that those processes are in place. So. I think it's very good that you stress that the trade, you know, the trade for an, content for an email address, mm. that the trade has to happen later in the process, that you first need to have some relationship before you ask for an email address because... Mm. If you ask too early for an email address, most people have two or more email addresses and one email address is just for junk. So that email address is nothing worse. They give you the email address, they get the ebook, and then you keep sending emails to this email address and they are never read because it's their spam email address. The other risk is then also if you ask them too early before they actually want to engage with you is they will just unsubscribe again. They give you the email address and they know you will spam them. And the moment you start, they just unsubscribe again because it was just too early to ask for this. And so given that those two options are available to content readers, I completely agree with you that the question needs to be asked quite late in the process. Absolutely. And once they unsubscribe, you've effectively lost them because you can't keep going out after them. So the privacy laws are tough and they have to be. I respect them completely. But they do mean you're absolutely right. You've got to really consider at which point they are going to be able to unsubscribe. So if they're coming in and pinging your website, ISP detection now makes it very possible for you to know where they're coming from. You can you can see who they are and you can remarket to them. Programmatic you mean, advertising allows. You mean you can see their IP address? You can see their IP address. So yeah. you can you, you can, don't know their name, you don't know their age. No, but you can start the remarketing program, programmatic advertising as soon as they hit a particular site or news page or whatever. Programmatic ads, you just do keyword searching and, and you can serve up targeted advertising to them. So there are methods to do it where they're not trading anything, you're not breaching their privacy. And they don't unsubscribe from you because they're getting served something that theoretically is relevant. So, can you, can you tell me more about that? Because I actually don't know it. So, somebody visits your website, you get their IP address because that's yeah. That's if you've got if you've got the automation built onto your site, so if you're using something like a HubSpot or Marketo or whatever, that information you can you can see. So again, it's not delving into their personal lives, yes. but you can see that Melissa Donnelly has hit your site five times in the last month. But and you can't see that it is Melissa Donnelly. You can just see that IP address one two three four hit your website in the yeah. If I'm coming back for an ebook, so I may not have to give my email address, but there's other indications that it's the same person coming back in. So it's a blind lead yes. in, a, in effect. So then I have your IP address. Mm. I don't have your email address yet, but I have your IP address. How I can then do targeted advertising? Oh, two, two to your... separate things, sorry. So that's if you've got marketing automation built onto your website, which is basically a system that wraps around your website and is very much about driving or drawing people into a contact page to then get them into your formal system, but you can see that they're, they're coming back. Programmatic advertising is a different beast. It's sometimes called digital advertising. We've just run a campaign recently. So I've got one client where we're always needing to recruit people. They need, they need candidates. So programmatic is not a space that typically you would see business-to-business organisations in because you're tending to reach out to a fairly broad consumer market. And it's not exclusively that, but typically I wouldn't put a business-to-business client in there very often. And professional services, I wouldn't because of the investment you've got to make. It's cost-effective, but it's where you're looking for large responses. Like you need 
you know, thousands of people clicking onto I a see. particular okay. ad. So because I've never heard that term. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's, a, it's a really neat tool and very trackable. So you can actually track the response on that ad through and look at the conversion from the number of placements to the number of clicks and then through to your website or call to action page. So, but what it's about is, so I read the Sydney Morning Herald online mm. every day. And I have obviously at some point clicked through to look at uh, maybe makeup or clothes. I've seen a little banner ad and I've looked there. Or I have been searching through my browser for my husband used to work for a housing company. So I've obviously been doing some stuff and checked out that housing company. And then funnily enough, next time I'm on the Sydney Morning yes. Herald, their ads come up. So you know yes. that feeling yes, you get? Yes, I know that. Hmm. That's people sitting at a, a desk working algorithms up. And it's called a trading desk and they're given by the advertiser keywords and sites that we suspect that our candidates, in the case of my client, would be going to. So it's a very, very specific form of advertising, but it's got nothing to do with the client website. It's actually got to do with where you travel as a potential customer or candidate for this client. So it's basically show this ad to anybody who has looked at this page before. Yeah, yeah. And and, and we'll so, target it by demographic. So we'll go, we're targeting males 18 to 35. We know they're interested in motor racing. We know they're interested in sport generally. We know they're living on the East Coast. We know they live in Sydney. So we know they're going to watch the NRL and whatever. How do and they have that information just from browser history and from the IP ad- address? Yeah, so where you're traveling through. Don't forget with cookies and everything. Oh, we can see. see where you travel so on the based, internet. Based on the website I've visited, there is, a, there is an assumption that I must be female or male, that I must be roughly this age because an 80-year-old doesn't look at... The NRL know, website. You or know. a female doesn't look at... Yeah, yeah, the UFC yes. newspaper or whatever it is online. I don't online. even know what so the UFC is. There'll be a UFC website. So basically that's it. So it's a very, okay. it's, it's a sophisticated, cost-effective form of advertising. Sorry, it's probably a red herring in this conversation because it's really not something I, I, see, I so would... So it's actually would, quite would, expensive? No, no, it's, it's cost-effective, but it's just that you're targeting... You're going for numbers and and with marketing business to business, I'm looking for quality of eyeballs. I'm not necessarily looking for a, a bigger quantity. So I'm looking But for what like... what about if I'm looking for SMSF clients and then I say, um, show my ad to anybody who's been to SMSF websites oh, before? Oh, yeah, if you're going out for something like SMSF clients. Yeah, possibly, actually, possibly, yeah. You, or people uh, who are looking for a best agent or people... Yeah, if you're going for that mass market. Or who are looking, yeah, are looking for yeah. business See, advice that's or financial advice. So that's, that's really a B2C conversation because you're talking to a consumer then. You're not, it's not a business trying to talk to another business. So in that instance... Yeah, it could, and, but a lot and of it can be very cost-effective. Yeah, and a lot of accountants do B2C marketing, mm, you mm. know, for SMSF. It's yeah, B2C. they would. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. So Wales is often B2C. Yeah. It's just business that is B2B. Yeah, so, no, that's actually a really, a really good point. So in that instance, things like programmatic, it is really cost-effective, and you can move fast. So you can do, again, you've got to have your creative done. So you're looking at their little gift files, they're called. So it's yeah, it needs to be a good-looking ad. ad. And you, you'll often serve up a couple of versions of it. See which one works And better. you'll be finessing, so you'll run sort of A-B tests and things. But, yeah, six-week campaigns and you can be, depending on the size of the total market you're looking at, you can be looking at, you know, really good conversion rates in terms of people not only clicking on the ad, but then again, if you've got a good call to action, an effective one, so what's – because you've got to have an offer. I mean, you don't advertise – well, sorry – 
you can do brand advertising and the corporates use it and and there's a hell of a lot of benefit to it and I've definitely run brand campaigns but more again big enterprise work you know where we're doing global campaigns and things and you've got greater brand currency to build around something like this if you're targeting SMSF clients for instance you want to have a very particular offer you know like why me why now call call us call now this allows measurement of all of that progress so you can look at all your conversion rates and say yeah that's yeah. working for because us because it's basically a funnel again and at each step of the funnel it needs to be strong that you move them to the next step of the funnel the first thing is that your ad actually comes up for the right keywords yeah. or to the right people mm. then the ad needs needs to be attractive enough that people actually click on it then what comes up after the click needs to be enticing enough that it then leads to further action. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's again sort of, sorry, that just that decision to make around your content is what's the content that you're going to pay for, so the professional content if you like. So you're going to pay to get it developed and you're going to pay to place it and then what's your user-generated content? So what's the stuff that you're going to generate yourself and that you're going to disseminate on free platforms like social media, like mm-hmm. your website, etc. And they're the things for businesses to consider in terms of the returns they want to see the investment they've got to make, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's one of the decisions early in the game with your content to think about is paid versus versus free. I see. That's that's what you meant with paid versus free because mm. when you said before paid versus user-generated. Yeah, um, or free. I mean, you know, if, if you're generating it yourself. Paying. But accountants usually generate all of their content because it's usually highly technical So they might engage a copywriter to review what they wrote, Mm. but usually accountants write their own content. Which can be the problem with professional services. Lawyers do as well, technical expertise, where they sometimes miss the mark is that they're not writing with the client at heart. So again, they're so expert at what they do, it's very hard to lift your head up and go, is this actually relevant and of a quality and of a level that the client will understand and will respond to. So I guess in the in the paid space where I'm specifically talking there is so pages where the advertising where, the, where, where the you need person. expertise, a designer, you need a copywriter to you pay them to do the ad for you because very few accountants would have a clue about writing an ad and designing an ad and having it in the 55 formats you need for Spotify or programmatic. And you're paying to place that content versus yeah content that you generate yourself. And you're not paying to place it. You're placing it on freely available platforms. So that's part of the equation is where and if you want to invest in the other area around paid is not necessarily content specific, but is looking at things like Google AdWords, search engine optimizing, all that that paid world where you're working and investing money to get your content to as wide a group as possible on the understanding that there's a lot of wastage factor in that. So the broader you go, the less likely you are to hit dead on with the target. So you're going to have a a wastage factor. So they're the things to consider at the very initial stages before you deep dive down into, okay, we're going to develop a content program. So we've got paid to one side. We've got experts helping us with that. And then we've got our own content and how can we use that to raise our profile and attract prospects and leads and help them become clients of our business. 
paid versus free. Mm. We basically have three stages where we have paid versus free. When we create the content, we have paid to develop and our own content mm. where nobody helps us with. Then to place it, we mm. have paid to place and we have free to place. And the free to place is just putting it onto our own website or uh, mm. doing our own video channel, etc. And then it's you either pay to get it for an email address, for example, you pay to get it or it's free to get. So there are actually three levels where you have paid versus free at the content creation, at the content placement, and then at the content delivery, basically. Yeah, good summary. Yeah, that, that's a really good summary. And it's about considering when in the decision-making cycle you're wanting to utilize that that mix. And if you think about it, your content that you're paying to have created and you're paying to place is likely to happen at the top of the funnel when people are, you know, you've got the, the mass of people that you're trying to get to. And then as you come down, you're more likely to then start using your own subject matter expertise. It's more cost effective, I think, to use free channels because you you actually control the message then. So you really you very much control the message. You control when it's seen, how it's seen, etc. You're then looking that though that that trade off that again further down the funnel, people are more willing, hopefully, to trade a little bit of their information in response to some good quality content from you or, or a special offer from you around content. And when you look at content creation and content placement, when you pay to create content, you probably then should also spend some money to place it properly because otherwise you create this expensive piece of content and then if you don't pay to place it, you only get it to a few people. Exactly. So again, if you think of an ad, yeah, sure, you might run the ad as a, a GIF on your social media network. If you use Facebook, you might boost the ad, which is very easy to do. So yeah, but why would you get a designer to, to spend a couple of thousand bucks designing up a beautiful ad for you? Yes, if it's only going to be seen on your network. So you really want to get that out to other networks. Um, and you've really got to keep an eye on it because it can blow out. You, know, you start to get into advertising budgets and then you think, oh, well, let's look at radio and let's look at this and let's look at that. It can really start to blow out. My view, scanning the market, I've just done actually a market scan for a client looking at traditional advertising versus digital and social. And from the proposals I've seen come in and I had to, I sourced several of them and, and evaluated them. I think the social and digital spaces allow for very good measurement, which means you can adjust the program and it allows you to keep a handle on costs. So you're not spending thousands and thousands of dollars on, you know, and I think traditional advertising has a huge role to play and I'm a big fan of radio and I'm a big fan of regional TV and all the rest of it. But I think in this space where you're targeting very specific audiences, so again, they're people who may want to establish an SMSF or they already hold an SMSF, where you want to put that advertising, that's fairly specific. You, you're not going to want to run it across, you know, Channel 9 News nationally <laughs> at the exorbitant cost that's going to be. <laughs> Two quick questions. Mm. Programmatic advertising, maybe you already said it, maybe it passed me. No, that's right. But how exactly, it comes through Google, does, or not just Google, but it comes through the browser, doesn't it, programmatic advertising? No, not through Google. So it's really about your 
internet usage. So I don't mean how they identify which ad to place. Mm. I mean, how does an accounting practice set up programmatic advertising? Isn't oh, it through Google Ads? No, no, no. Two different things. No, you need a trading desk. So you need a specialist advertising buyer. It's not something any of us can go. I don't do it. I have a specialist ad buyer that goes in and they have what's called a trading desk. And those guys sit and deal in algorithms and tweaking the system to make it where it's really technical. So it's not, oh, really? it, again, it's not something you just go and do. So yeah, Google AdWords, people can set up their own accounts and manage it themselves. Again, I'm a fan of get the people in that do it all the time because they'll be better at it than anyone but programmatic like that it's complicated it's really really? complicated and complex so So it's not something I would say anyone should could even go and do because I think you've got to have a proper like authorized desk to to make it happen so if you think about stocks and shares trading desks this is a trading desk in keywords. It's real-time serving. So what it means is that ad is not sitting. So say it's the Sydney Morning Herald online shoe business, you know, so whatever whatever it is, online, online retail. I'm a bit of an online retail fan, so I get hit with these things. So that's not sitting on the Sydney Morning Herald for everybody to see. And this is the magic in it, as in the science in it. That only gets served when it detects I've hit the Sydney Morning Herald that day and it goes, oh, this is that same user that we know is a woman of a certain age who's into online shopping, blah, blah, blah. So it's really technical. You're actually serving the ad in real time. It's not like Google AdWords where you go, I'll just buy certain AdWords and then I know I'm going to pop to the top. And you've got to be careful with that because the algorithm's getting changed all the time. So. Okay, so two people go to the trading desk, the one who wants to see their ads and the one who has space on their website to show the ad. All the sites have an inventory that's available for programmatic advertising. And the traditional view is that you get a, a magazine, so you buy a magazine or a, a business magazine, and on the right-hand page in the bottom you know, quarter is a space that the publisher has said, yep, that's for advertising. And you have ad sales reps and they run out and they sell that space. And you go, I want to buy that space and I'm going to give you a file and you will put my ad in that space. This is about real-time interactive serving of ads. So the hard thing for a client is you've gone to a designer and or an advertising agency and said, I want you to design me an ad and I want to recruit clients who are wanting to set up SMSFs. They go, great. Develop the creative. They show you the creative, which you can only look at it in static version and you go, that looks good. And then they say, right, we're going to get our trading desk to book programmatic advertising for you based on this demographic information about the client, based on these keywords, based on these sites that we assume this person is going to go to who's most likely to buy your product and you go great you may never see that ad because if you're not the person behaving like that online you'll never see your own ad served up to you so it's a it's a really yes it's a difficult space for people to get their head around so so it's not like you actually a client is going to a trading desk they're just doing what they the the prospect is just doing what they do online i keep going Mm. so they have the ad now they have specified the criteria of the people they want to show the ad to yeah so what happens next? And then you run your six-week campaign and your trading desk reports back to you and says the ad was served up this many times. So they'll give you an estimate because they calculate the costs on a click-through rate, etc. So they'll give you an estimate. Say, so we estimate this ad. I'm just picking completely random numbers. We estimate this ad will get served up a thousand times 
in the next week. So a thousand, it'll be seen by a thousand sets of eyeballs in the next week. At the end of that period, they come back and say, we've run the report. Actually, that ad got served up because more people came to that particular site or fitted our particular criteria more than we anticipated. That ad's been served up 1,500 times in the last week. So what's the difference between Google Ads And I don't mean Google ads who show up on a search page. I mean Google ads that come up on your blog post. What's the difference between those Google ads and programmatic ads? Yeah, I mean, that's where you put in, you say these keywords come up and then, yeah, my ad's getting served. But that's on your blog, right? You've set up a thing saying that Google ads can come up. Yes. Yeah, look, it's a little like that. But what it would mean is that those ads, are different depending on the person that's that's going to it. So again, I'm not an expert on exactly how Google Ads works. So I don't know if I come to your blog post and it goes, oh, here's, here's Melissa and she's a certain age and she likes shoes. So I'm going to serve her that ad, not that ad, or whether it says every time I come to you, I'm going to get this particular ad because I've come to your site. So programmatic is dictated by the behavior of the person coming to the site. I don't know that Google Ads is not dictated by the site saying, I will accept ads for my viewers because I know who's coming to my blog post. I will accept ads about that are about financial services, accounting, SMSFs, whatever, if it's tax talks, for instance. So, yes. yeah. Okay. When you go onto a blog post and mm. you see an ad, mm. this ad might come through Google Ads or it might have come through programmatic advertising. If you've got that inventory, and I, again, I don't know how much inventory sits in blogs because, I mean, we're looking at, in my experience, what we're looking at are the major websites and news outlets and sports outlets and you know we're looking at things like places where gamers might go you know so so what sort of you know are they looking at buzzfeed are they looking at you know so it's it's that I type see. of thing so again we're we're sort of so i don't know whether blog posts can actually make that inventory available because you've got to be running that kind of system where you can take those yeah and you probably need for programmatic advertising you probably need a certain size of traffic yeah 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 and i can imagine again, I'm looking probably for thousands yeah of, exactly of probably starts at ten thousand views or so a day it could, or... it could be yeah it's a really interesting space because it's that real-time serving which goes back to the point about relevance. You know, we want yes. to see stuff that's relevant and we're operating in, it's like Facebook advertising. Yeah. You know, you're seeing stuff that's spookily relevant at times to what yes. you're, you know, you've been thinking you're only thinking, but you've actually been searching it and yes. it can find you. I didn't realize that there were these two parallel worlds of online advertising. Mm. I just assumed that everything was Google no, ads. No, and that's why, again, it's it's a really wise thing if you're thinking about going into that space. It's hard to find, I've in my experience, again, it's hard to find agencies that want to geared for small and mid-sized companies that understand professional services as opposed to selling Coke or shoes or whatever and work across multi-platforms. A lot of them go, I just do LinkedIn. So if you want to do LinkedIn advertising, I'll do LinkedIn advertising for you. Or we only do Facebook Messenger. I've spent, honestly, probably the last two and a half years going crazy trying to find multidisciplinary shops where I can say, I want you to look at Google Ads, Spotify, which is running some great beta ad studio stuff, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, but I don't want to do you know, a spam campaign via LinkedIn Messenger, which again has caused a whole lot of dramas for a lot of people. So it's a, a world that's shifting really quickly. The 
owners of the platforms where there is algorithms involved, they're shifting their algorithms constantly and there's a, a lot of benefits to it. But again, you've got to be really careful. I mean, I was looking into, um, there was a really big event on in a local market that one of my clients operated in, in the financial services area, actually. And we actually looked at, and I costed out the idea of a geofencing campaign, which you can do through Facebook Messenger, right? So what it does is says within this geographic vicinity, I want to find everyone who's got Facebook on their phones and then I want to serve them a message on Messenger. So they'll have left the convention hall and suddenly a message comes up on Messenger saying, hey, noticed you're at such and such an event. We're at stand whatever if you want to come back and see us tomorrow. Like it's that potentially good. And I thought about it and I was like, does this really align with our values? Because there's a slight creepery creepy kind of nature to that it's stalkerish is it you know so we really had to make some decisions because it can be done you can really get geographically specific you can get market target market specific I've heard of campaigns being run by schools where they're trying to get enrollments so they'll actually target geographically the vicinity around them where they know the cafes and coffee shops are that the mums are having coffee at in the morning with Facebook so there's nothing illegal about it, but it's whether you really want to go down that route. You know, this is it's certainly an area I counsel always get advice and get advice from people who are credible and who are in the market and don't offer to sell you lists at the same time as they're trying to sell you five other services. So, yeah, but it is, it's a, it's a whole crazy world out there and it's only going to get more sophisticated but there's going to be more downsides to it. And I think a lot of people will end up wasting a lot of money. I don't know if you remember probably five years ago, it, actually longer than that, search engine optimising was the thing. And I had people, companies spending two grand and more a month on SEO. SEO, getting no reporting for it, no results for it that they knew about, and it's two grand a month. And for a small business, two grand a month's a lot of money that I sit there going, oh, we could put that to better use doing other things. So I actively got a few clients to to get rid of SEO, you know. And oh, again, really? I'm not saying ignore it completely but for SEO everybody. Is, SEO is the way to get your content free in front of people. Well, you know, if you look at the way the systems are changing and algorithms are changing all the time, you you can't. Again, there's some very good SEO agencies out there, and there's some very effective SEO campaigns. But you can also be chasing. The SEO, and I don't know if you've noticed too, with a lot of websites now and content, they've been written with search engine optimizing in mind instead of, of clarity and readability. Yeah, but clarity affects your SEO. If your sentences are too long, you have too many repetitions or so, it affects mm. your SEO. But again, if you're also then going, I've got to use these keywords because that's the way I'm going to optimize. Yeah, but Google publishes that now. It doesn't read. Use, that mm. used to be like that, that you could just completely spam your article with the keywords and then you mm. would rank higher. But mm. Google has stopped that a couple yeah. of years ago. So now if you use the keyword too often, it will actually lower your SEO. Yeah. Welcome back. So content marketing consists of various steps, but those three, creation, distribution and offer, at each of these steps you face the decision of paid versus free. In the next episode, episode 240, Melissa Donnelly will talk about how to best deliver the content you create. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.